Here's Dougal Stevenson with his notes from the South. Hello. In Dunedin this week, there's been scant encouragement to reach for the stars. The sky preferred to fall and weigh us down to the beaches with snow. Through the flurries, Flagstaff Hill above the city appeared to crouch lower beneath the press of snow, bleak as the Crimea in January. We know it will come. We have forecasters, and as before the last major fall in August 2004, we were well warned. The prudent stayed home in droves and probably in bed, but others were not prepared to hunker down. Despite the great snows of 1939 and subsequent regular smotherings, there's no apparent legacy of preparedness. The police can warn everybody to stay off the roads, especially in the hill suburbs and shaded parts where black ice forms. Still, many heedless venture forth to fall down. Wheels spin, cars slide and bump into each other, Four-wheel drives with towny tyres are abandoned wherever they stop and at whatever dispirited angle. Thus, the wary and witless go forth, and insurance assessors' eyes turn heavenward as they pray for the sun and silently salute the sensible, while employers are urged to develop snow policies, outlining circumstances which might result in a weather-related work closure. On Wednesday, when the snow had melted from the city streets, a large mobile crane, outriggers well spread, raised its long, slender boom and placed the top on a new cooling tower set on the roof of the nine-floor Dunedin Hospital ward block. The right time for a replacement, as cooling towers are not greatly stressed at this time of the year. That job done, the crane inexplicably toppled and measured its 63-metre length onto the street, hitting nobody but it was close. According to his boss, the experienced crane driver was shaken, but he'd be back at work tomorrow. He's one of us, you see. The downed crane and its bent boom created quite an attraction. Dunedin is not a high-rise city. Presently, there is but one large construction crane at work in the commercial precinct. Cranes are not generally part of the cityscape. The partial shutdown of the city because of snow created problems for the hospital. Hospital staff needed to deal with a backlog of patients who'd missed appointments. And to add to their problems, a Department of Nuclear Medicine scanner went on the blink, while outside the crane lay helpless in the street, although not by the main entrance. Count your blessings. The day before, between snow showers, I went to fetch the paper, delivered as usual, come rain or come shine. It was so cold that before icicles formed to short out the jumbled wiring of my memory, I thought it a good time to sort and caption our photo albums. So any curious descendants and the relatively unscathed don't need to ask, who was that and where's that and what's that? Sitting at the dining room table, the heat pump's warm exhalations ruffling my distinguished grey hair, I came across an uncaptioned sequence of photographs recording the events on a day where we lived in a valley near Wellington. Ah, day of the crane. In the foreground of one photo stands the large figure of the valley sceptic, his broad back to the camera. Against the sky, a long assemblage of steel trusses joined by crossbeams and stiffened with diagonal braces is suspended from two cables hanging from the extended boom of a mobile crane. It's the frame of a bridge, longer than a cricket pitch, as wide as a delivery truck. The valley sceptic was not a man to gloat at others' miscalculations, but with his considerable knowledge of engineering and his owning to a good eye for length, he worried that this was a bridge too short and it would fall between the concrete abutments. 
So he stands in the photograph, immutable until it fades, solid, emphatic, certain as Rodin's bronze Balzac. I must say I had my doubts too, but wouldn't admit to them. I'd worked for six weeks with a builder digging to place the abutments either side of the stream, deeper by a metre than the stream bed, continuous flooding, constant pumping. We set boxing in a dark hole, cold as the proverbial well-digger's bum. When I reluctantly mentioned my concerns about a possible disparity between the length of the prefabricated bridge frame and the distance between the abutments, the clever builder, whose sole dismaying habit was a tendency to poke a wriggling finger up his right nostril in moments of intense concentration, reproached me. We've got the measurements right, don't you worry, he insisted, raising a staying hand so perilously close to his nose that an admonishing finger twitched like a ferret at a rabbit hole. The next photograph in the sequence records the moment when everything went according to plan. The bridge was lowered and it fitted. The sceptic applauded generously. Now I'm bound to caption the photographs succinctly, or, given the length of this dissertation, provide a CD. The thought occurs, what about one for every photo album, and possibly condemning the grandchildren to hours of dutiful attention? Please don't, I hear them say. Goodbye. Thank you, Diggle. And Diggle Stevenson will be back in a fortnight.